Welcome to Flyover Conservative Podcast with David and Stacey Whited, where we break down current events and examine culture through the lens of conservative Christian values. Today's one of our, our favorite guests. Uh, it's somebody just simply having a small conversation with this person. Actually, makes me feel smarter. Me too. Just by association when yep. you're around uh, somebody. Uh, you know, um, probably the only thing that's better than the sound of his voice is his incredible brain. He's got a brain like a steel trap. A supercomputer for does. a brain. He's author mm-hmm. of, a, of an incredible website and an article called The American Minute. And uh, his name is Mr. Bill Federer. Yeah. Thank you, David and Stacey. Great to be with you. Uh, welcome. We are really looking <clears throat> forward to this, Bill. There's so many questions about what's going on in Israel and where we are right now um, in the world, and we couldn't think of a better person to bring on the show than you, to kind of cover some history and to help catch us all up to speed of where we are. I did want the audience to know you're going to be covering some information. You wrote an article. It's Israel, its enemies, and U.S. involvement in Middle East. And if people want to get that, they can just text the phone number 40509, text the word Bill to 40509. This will kind of give you an outline of what he's going to be going over today. And, and for those of you watching, this is, uh, we're, we're just listening, whatever, wherever your platform you're on, if you're on the treadmill or mowing your grass, or you're watching this on your you know TV using the Flyover app, this is an episode you're going to want to share with people yes. because there's um, just, there's enough pieces of information to people feel confident that they kind of know what's going on. And I think uh, it's naive for any of us to probably think, hey, we totally have a grasp on this, but we're definitely in an era of of human development where you feel like uh, history is five minutes ago mm-hmm. and, and we kind of, you know, you have a grasp on it. This is very complex, a lot of pieces, and Bill is one of the greatest historians really you could ever want to come across, has written, written books on every form of government in the history of man, every constitution of our uh, original 13 colonies, mm-hmm. you 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 name it, he's covered it. Um, one that I'll, I'll get into here, socialism, the real history from Plato to the present. So you think you're on a college campus and this is some new concept. These principles go back long before any of us. And uh, when it comes to, to Islam and its struggles with uh, Judeo-Christian principles and, and life, He's written an incredible book on that as well that uh, that we can pull up at AmericanMinute.com that's accessible. So anyway, I want to give that as, 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 a, as a backdrop. Uh, we do specials with Bill on holidays and the histories of of events and things. So there's just a, just a tremendous amount of information. But these American Minute clips are short ways to kind of read through something and get yourself up to speed on a really big topic mm-hmm. in a short period of time. And then, you know, it was obviously a launching pad for you to learn even more about it. So Bill, they're on your site right now, AmericanMinute.com. The book we're actually looking for is what everyone needs to know about the Quran, a history right of there. Islam. Um, so tell our listeners, what will they find? Obviously, you can tell from the title a little bit, but what will they find when they read this book? Right. Well, I actually have a PowerPoint presentation that I can zip through with your audience, if you okay. like. Um, but it all goes back to Muhammad. So he was the perfect Muslim and uh, uh, his life goes through three stages. So first he was a religious leader. Then he becomes a political leader. Then he becomes a military leader. And uh, the uh, I, I get into his whole history and uh, how he has things in his religion that's uh, from I mean, Encyclopedia Britannica says the gospel was made known to him chiefly through apocryphal and heretical sources. So he thought the Trinity was the Father, Mary, and Jesus. And anyway, um, his uh, 
in 610 AD, uh, he goes into Mecca and he only makes 70 converts in 12 years. He gets confrontational. They decide to chase him out of town. Uh, he flees north to a Jewish city called Medina. He's a, the first Muslim refugee. They let him in as a Muslim immigrant. He goes into the minority neighborhoods and organizes a following. And then when he get, following gets big enough, he pressures the Jews to make a treaty with him. Now he's a political leader. And uh, when his followers um, get a little confrontational, uh, then he um, lets them rob caravans headed back to Mecca, and he becomes a military leader, and he fights in 66 battles and raids in the next eight years before he dies. Uh, one of them was the uh, Battle of Badra in 624 AD. Um, the uh, Meccans send a 1,000 soldiers to protect their uh, caravan, and Muhammad with 300 defeats 1,000. And so this amazing victory um, convinces him to, to be this military leader. He, he gets verses from his Allah that says the slave girls are given to you as booty. And then he gets a wow. fifth of the booty. And, uh, and so it's RPM. It's a religious system, a political system, and a military system because Muhammad was a religious leader and a political leader and a military leader. Mm. Now, the effort we have today to split the religious side away from the political military side is we're trying to split Muhammad. Now, there's been several periods of history when more Muslims have uh, not followed his example very close. We call those times sort of peaceful. Um, but um, anyway, there's two sets of verses in the Quran. Uh, the verses he gets when he's in Mecca, he's just a religious leader. Those verses are a little more peaceful. The verses he gets in Medina are a little more political and militant, and they're violent. And the later verses supersede the earlier verses. By way of comparison, in the Bible, we have two sets of verses, Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament has some violence in it. New Testament, Jesus and the apostles never killed anybody. So what do we say? The later verses are the ones we're going to try to imitate. It's the same way in Islam, only in reverse. Mm, their peaceful verses came first in Mecca, and they're superseded by the political military verses that come in Medina. They're called strong verses. And so in 627 AD, the Meccans send 10,000 soldiers to Medina. And Muhammad defeats them in the Battle of the Trench. He dug trenches all around the city, and they leave. And so he goes back, and rem remember those Jews that led him into the city? Um, he uh, uh, chases two of the groups out, and the third group he brings into the marketplace and chops off their heads Ooh. and sells women and children into slavery. So within five years of Muhammad coming into the Jewish city of Medina, there's not a Jew left in the city of Medina. Within the five years after his death, every pre-existing culture in Arabia is conquered. And so just like Caesar had his three, Vini, Vidi, Vici, I came, I saw, I conquered, uh, this was immigrate, increase, eliminate. Immigrate as a religious refugee and then increase in numbers and become politically involved and then have random outbreaks of violence and the previous inhabitants of the neighborhood no longer feel safe, they move out and you take over the neighborhood. And um, here is a Fox News article from Hamtramck, Michigan. Uh, first, uh, U.S. Majority Muslim City Council. Today, we will show the Polish and... Um, so there's a 1,400-year track record uh, to observe what I just explained. It broken into three different waves, a Arab-Persian wave, 622 to 1071, a Turkish wave from 1071 to 1923, wow. and then the Arab Spring that started in 1928 to the present with the Muslim Brotherhood. And so um, their goal is a one-world government. It's called the Caliphate. And... Um, I go into the, you know, the military swords. And, and so um, within 23 years of Muhammad's death, they conquer Arabia, 
uh, Yemen down at the bottom there, which used to be a Jewish kingdom. They conquered Jerusalem, which had been a Byzantine Christian city since Constantine. They conquered Syria, which was the first country to completely be Christian, evangelized by the Apostle Paul. The name Christian was first used in Syria. Then they conquered into Armenia. Then they conquered Egypt. Egypt had been Christian for six centuries, evangelized by Mark that wrote the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then they conquered North Africa. They, there used to be 250 Catholic dioceses along North Africa. And then they invaded Spain in the year 711. And uh, now when they did this so quickly, it cut off trade across the Mediterranean. And one item that was no longer shipped from Egypt was papyrus reeds or paper. So suddenly there was a paper shortage in Europe. They wrote fewer books. We call this the Dark Ages. And they destroyed the oldest library in the world in Alexandria, Egypt. And then they crossed into Spain in the year 711. Spaniards are still fighting on foot with heavy metal swords. Muslims have stirrups and Arabian horses and scimitar swords. In 10 years, they conquer all of Spain, conquer southern France. And then they're outside of Paris at the Battle of Tours in 732 AD, just 100 years after the death of Muhammad in 632 AD. You think, how did they go up there? Well, they considered it defensive. You said, how can you be in France and call it defensive? So they think if they feel threatened by their enemy, then it's okay to lie to their enemy and it's okay to do a preemptive strikes against your enemy. So they're being defensive while they're being offensive. It's a little play on words. Um, and so it takes seven centuries to drive them out of Spain. Um, then the they come around the other side of the Mediterranean and they attack Constantinople, but they're stopped. And so that is the Arab Persian Spring. Uh, next year, the Turks convert to Islam and they conquered the Arab Persian Muslim world. Now, I do want to mention uh, between the Arab Persian and the Turks is something called the Islamic Gold Age. Uh, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, definitions. The word Islam means submission to the will of Allah. A Muslim is one who has submitted and Islam believes there will be world peace when the whole world submits to the will of Allah. So okay. to them, world peace means world Islam. So when they say it's a religion of peace, it's a little bit uh, different because their definition of peace is world Islam. Mm. Uh, Lincoln, during the Civil War, said, we all declare for liberty, but in using the same word, we do not all mean the same thing. So when we say liberty in the North, it's freeing the slaves. When the South says liberty, it's getting rid of the, the federal troops. So when the... Um, uh, in international relations, we say peace. It's different groups getting along. When the fundamentalist Muslim says peace, he's thinking world Islam. And so to the fundamental ones, the world's divided in two. The half that has submitted and the half that's in the process of submitting. Mm. So the Dar al-Islam is the house of submission. The Dar al-Harb is the house of war. A moderate Muslim thinks the world's going to submit to Allah later maybe at the end of the world, maybe it's even figurative. And since it's so far off, they really don't think about it. And they just want to live their lives and they're friendly and they like having you as a friend and a neighbor. The fundamental Muslims think the world is supposed to submit to Allah now. And they're really excited and they want to help make it happen. Now, the mm -hmm. dilemma for the West is the nicer we show ourselves, the fundamental ones view that niceness as weakness. And they take that as an indicator to attack. So uh, the concept is when your enemy is strong, retreat. When your enemy is weak, attack. It's actually the law of nature, the law of the jungle. A uh, lion chasing a zebra when the zebra is strong and runs away. But if the zebra is weak and injured, that's when the lion attacks. And um, <clears throat> here's an interview with psychologist Nikolai Senels. Muslims instinctively see our lack of reaction as fear. It is an invitation to attack. 
So whenever they sense you being afraid of them, they take that as an indicator they're supposed to attack you. That's why the Bible over and over again says, fear not, fear not, fear not. Mm -hmm. Uh, They say it's wrong to kill the innocent, but we have to define the word innocent. Um, If you reject the way of Allah, you're not innocent, you're guilty. And so Allah loveth not those who reject the faith, be ruthless to the infidels, make war on the infidels, fight those who believe not in Allah, kill the disbeliever. And so when they say it's wrong to kill the innocent, they're saying it's wrong to kill faithful Muslims. And um, wow. Anyway, uh, so so Muhammad had a, a general that fought with him in every battle, Abu Bakr, and he's the founder of the Sunnah. And then Muhammad had a son-in-law named Ali, and Shi Ali is the party of Ali. And so 10% of Muslims are Shiite, and they live in Iran mostly, and the other 90% are Sunnah, Sunni. And um, uh, and so what's Sharia? Uh, it's trying to be like Muhammad, and uh, we want to be like Jesus. They want to be like Muhammad, simple, except Christians do not believe they go to heaven by being like Jesus. They believe they go to heaven because they believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for all their sins. Right. Mm-hmm. And they want to live like Jesus to show the rest of the world how much God loves them. And not so in Islam. They think their chances of going to paradise are directly related to them following Muhammad's example. But even Muhammad said, though I'm the prophet of Allah, I do not know what Allah will do with me. So there's no security, right? And um, what Muhammad permitted is permitted is called halal. What Muhammad did not permit is not permitted. It is called haram. So Muhammad liked cats. Cats are halal. They are permitted. Muhammad did not like dogs. Dogs are haram. They are not permitted. And so Islam is a long list of halals and harams, and the local imam keeps the list. It's a religion of do's and don'ts. And um, and it comes from the Quran, the Hadith, the Surat, and I can get into all that. They had slavery. They enslaved 180 million Africans. Muhammad was a white Arab. And they um, even David Livingston talked about the Arab Muslims enslaving blacks in Africa. So this, here's the Islamic Golden Age. So after they conquer and they stop, they sort of consolidate. And you have a century uh, or two of people like Al-Farabi. And he uh, wanted to incorporate Greek science and philosophy. Uh, and then Avicenna, prominent Persian, he wrote 450 books on philosophy, medicine, math. Uh, Averos, he was an expert on Aristotle. And he wrote on physics, music, mathematics. And if you were to take a snapshot of the world, you would have thought that the Islamic world was about to experience the Renaissance. But it's all slapped down by this guy, Ghazali, considered the most influential Muslim after Muhammad. He's a mujahideen and renewer of the faith. And he said, stop reading Greek stuff. He even said this, one should restrain anyone who would immerse himself in these mathematical sciences, for even though they do not pertain to the domain of religion, yet since they are among the foundations of the philosopher's sciences, the student will be infected with the evil and corruption of the philosophers. So don't even study geometry. Because if you do, you might get into Greek philosophy and then you'll get away from Islam. So this was a closing of the Muslim world mind. At the same time in Europe, you had St. Thomas Aquinas that said it's okay to read Greek stuff um, because even a pagan can stumble across truth every now and then. Just be like a cow, eat the hay, spit out the sticks. And so the Europeans began to start universities. And and then you had the Crusades. um, And so the, the, uh, oh, Here's a quick comparison. Jesus never, if we compare religions, then you can say, well, there's Muslims that kill people and there's Christians that kill people. And even the Pope had an army, uh, you know, for during the Middle Ages and killed people. And so it gets a little bit uh, hard to see distinctions. But if you just compare Jesus and Muhammad, uh, Jesus never killed anybody. Muhammad killed an estimated 
3,000 people. Jesus never led armies. Muhammad led armies. Jesus never owned slaves. Muhammad owned slaves. Jesus never married. Muhammad had 11 to 22 wives. Jesus never tortured anyone. Muhammad tortured a guy who wouldn't tell where the treasure was hidden. Jesus did not permit lying. Muhammad permitted lying. It's called taqiyah. Um, and Jesus never forced anyone to follow him. Muhammad said, whoever changes his Islamic religion, kill him. Um, and <laughs> wow. Jesus forgave insults. Uh, Muhammad avenged insults. Jesus did not permit the disciples to rape anyone. Muhammad permitted his followers to do that. And none of the apostles are, were governors or generals. Every one of the caliphs was a governor and general. Jesus taught God was our father. In Islam, it's blasphemy to call Allah your father. Jesus taught we're children of God. In Islam, it's blasphemy to call yourself a child of Allah. Jesus said we're made in the image of God. In Islam, Allah has no image. Jesus taught to have a personal relationship with God. In Islam, it's blasphemy to even want to have a personal relationship with Allah because he's forever unknowable. And uh, the first three centuries of Christianity, 10 major persecutions, Christians are thrown to the lions. And the first three centuries of Islam, they conquered from Arabia to Paris. And um, anyway, by the way, here's one verse uh, that uh, is when you're witnessing to a Muslim person, first you want to do it in, in, in private because if they're with a group, they'll feel pressured in front of the group to not show an interest because they could potentially get killed. Um, but Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. There's no concept in all of Islam that Allah wants to heal your broken heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, Allah doesn't care about your heart. He just wants outward submission. Mm-hmm. And so I've even prayed with Muslims. And when you tell them that God cares about their broken heart and you pray, the spirit of the Lord comes up and they start weeping and crying. They wow. feel the love of God for the first time in their wow. lives. And anyway, so the Turks convert to Islam and they conquer into what is today Turkey. All seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation are wiped out. So when you read Revelation to the church at Ephesus and Thyatira and Sardis and Pergamum and Laodicea, all those churches were wiped out by the Muslim Turks. Um, and uh, the Pope Urban II uh, calls for the Roman Catholic Christians to come to the help of the Greek Christians. They do. It's called the First Crusade. There's nine major crusades in 200 years. I know I'm talking fast, but the clock keeps clicking. Uh, Richard <laughs> the Lionheart. I- I'm going to... Uh, Skip past stuff for the sake of time. So I got a great presentation. Uh, you'll have to buy my book to get the rest. So the, one of the pilgrim ships was captured by the Muslims, and then they had battles in Europe. And but I want to get to the uh, Barbary. Hey, okay, so I want to say that book what, again. What? So the book is if you go to AmericanMinute.com, the <clears> book is what everyone needs to know about the Quran: A History of Islam. Right, in the United, and so, in the United States. And so, so I want to jump to the present. So uh, before World War I, the Ottoman Empire is the sick man of Europe. It's collapsing. Greece breaks away and Bulgaria, Romania, all these countries are breaking away from the Ottoman Empire. And um, then you have uh, oil. Uh, so prior to oil coming out of the ground, it came from whales and the poor whales were being chased to extinction. But then you have uh, Pennsylvania discovers oil 1859 out of the ground and then Oklahoma and then the Middle East. And so Winston Churchill changes the British Navy from coal to oil. So Britain needs oil. So they form the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company. You know it better as BP. Mm. And the Germans industrialized. They need oil. And so they make a treaty with Turkey, which includes Iraq, which includes Baghdad and Kirkuk. And so you have half of World War I is fought in the Middle East. And um, 
So uh, there you have Kaiser Wilhelm II making a treaty with uh, Abdul Hamid II. So you got Germany and Turkey are together and England and uh, Iran are together. Uh, the movie The Promise, Christian uh, Bale stars in it, uh, is, is great for this. And so um, you have, uh, after the war, uh, the, the map of Europe is redrawn. And, uh, and so the, the map of the Middle East is redrawn. And this is where it gets interesting. So they do a Sykes-Picot Treaty, and Russia gets a little bit of the old Ottoman Empire. France gets a little bit of the old Ottoman Empire, Italy and Britain. And, and this is all decided upon, and it gets thrown a monkey wrench by this guy, T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia. Okay. He's, he's just a lieutenant. He's sent on an assignment, a reconnaissance, to check to see if these Arabs can join the British to fight the Turks. So we, we have Arab Muslims, we have Turkish Muslims. And, uh, and he lies to them. He tells these Arabs that if you help the British, you will get all the land in the Middle East, not the French and the English. And so he admitted in his seven, his book, Seven Pillars of Wisdom, I risk the fraud on my conviction that Arab health was necessary to our cheap and speedy victory in the East and better we win and break our word than lose. So he lies huh. to him. But why is this important? Because the Arabs claim they get all the land in the Middle East that used to be part of the Ottoman Empire because of Lawrence's promise. Yet, the British, they didn't approve him to, to do that. He wasn't a negotiator, and they had promised that land uh, to, to Israel. And now the Arab that Lawrence got involved was the Sharif of Mecca, and he was relatively moderate, and uh, his name was Hussein ibn Ali al-Hashimi. And um, uh, by the way, in the war, Lawrence of Arabia, um, uh, King uh, Alec Guinness is in it as well. Now, uh, another important part of the picture, World War I, the British are running out of explosives. And a Jew from Russia, remember Fiddler on the Roof and the Jews mm -hmm. fleeing Russia? Uh, his name was Chaim Wiseman. He's a chemist. He comes up with a bacterial fermentation process to take uh, ethanol, the butanol, the acetone, and that allowed him to make these explosives. And the British are so appreciative that after the war, they want to make him a sir or a knight. And he says, no, I'd like a homeland for the Jewish people. They issue the Balfour Declaration. And uh, it says, uh, his majesty's government view in favor of the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. And so, uh, by the way, the Zionist movement started out of America's second Great Awakening revival. And there were Christians that preached millennialism. They finally found in the Bible where Jesus is going to come back and rule and reign for a thousand years, a millennium. And they saw that before this could take place, the Jews are supposed to be in their holy land. And so you have a Christian group in England going to these synagogues saying, hey, think about going back to your whole, your homeland. That is the, the beginning of the Zionist movement out of a Christian revival. Wow. Anyway, Theodore Herzl starts the first Zionist Congress, 1897. Somebody that attended was Henry Dunant, founder of the International Red Cross and recipient of the first Nobel Peace Prize. And so um, here's the quote from that. It says, the idea of Jews returning to their ancient homeland, this is Anita Shapri, Israeli history, as the first step to world redemption seems to have originated among a specific group of evangelical Protestants that flourished in England in the 1840s. They passed this notion on to Jewish circles. And um, anyway, so Balfour uh, mm -hmm. writes to the Jews, my personal hope is that Jews will make good in Palestine and eventually found a Jewish state. It's up to them now. We've given them the great opportunity. So this is the British mandate, and this is all given to the Jews. 
And uh, then uh, the British recognize al-Hashimi, this Arab, who's the Sharif of Mecca, and his family was in charge of Mecca since almost the 10th century. Uh, Again, he's relatively moderate. Uh, The British recognize his son Fazl as king of Syria and Iraq, and... um, uh, but then the French wanted Syria, and so he's only left King of Iraq. By the way, there's Alec Guinness in the movie. He's playing King Fazl. And you know Alec Guinness because he was also Obi-Wan Kenobi. I and, see. Uh, anyway, but Fazl, again, he's relatively moderate. He says, we feel the Arabs and Jews are cousins and having suffered similar oppressions at the hands of power stronger than themselves. We uh, wish the Jews a most hearty welcome home. And there's Chaim Wiseman with King Fazl, right? And, and so, um, but then you have France. And after the um, the Treaty of San Remo, the French march into Syria and want to take it over. And King uh, Fazl's like, wait a second, I thought I was going to get Syria. And so it almost starts another war. And Abdullah, the brother, he's going to lead an army. And Winston Churchill does a quick one. He takes the land he was going to give the Jews, and he creates a Palestinian homeland. <laughs> That's, that wasn't the term they used, but a home for the Arabs. And so they cut the Jewish land in half. And they gave half of it to Abdullah, the brother of Fazl, and they called it Jordan. And um, and so now we have uh, Hussein uh, al-Hashimi, who worked with Lawrence of Arabia to help the British defeat the Turks. His one son is, is recognized by the British as king of Iraq, that used to be part of the Ottoman Empire. His other son, Abdullah, is king of Jordan, which used to be part of the Ottoman Empire. And, uh, and there's, again, Abdullah and two people away there. It's Winston Churchill. And so, again, they're relatively moderate. And, um, and hmm. then you have uh, Ataturk rallies and keeps Turkey from completely disintegrating. And, and that's called the Republic of Turkey today. And, um, and there's Ataturk. Again, he's, a, he's secular uh, with King Fazl. And there's Ataturk with King Fazl again. And uh, they're dressed in Western clothes. Why? Because Islam took a blow to the gut when the Ottoman Empire was disbanded. Similar to Japan, when the atomic bomb was dropped, they thought not only did their emperor let him down, their religion let him down. And um, so here's Ataturk. He says, he is a weak ruler who needs religion to uphold his government, even before accepting the religion of the Arabs. The Turks were a great nation. Uh, he says, Mohammedism is based on Arab nationalism, above all nationalities. The purpose of the religion founded by Muhammad over all nations was to drag them into including Arab national politics. It might have suited tribes in the desert. It's no good for a modern progressive state. And so you had uh, the Shah of Iran. He's friends with the West. Uh, you have, um, uh, there he is wow. with his wife and, and Jacqueline Kennedy. And and uh, and they have discos in, over in Iran. And then uh, it looks like, you know, Iran looks like the uh, Beach Boys in Southern yeah. California. And there's Afghanistan, girls in skirts going to college. And uh, Syria having beauty pageants. And, All the way into uh, the and, 60s, huh? And this is uh, Egypt. Uh, and again, it, it looks like Southern California. There's swimming suits and... and um, and there's Gamal Nasser, the head of Egypt, 1967. He and his family are all dressed in Western clothes. And he says, I've met in 1958, I met the head of the Muslim Brotherhood. He said, he sat with me, made his request. He, what you, he requested wearing the hijab mandatory in Egypt. Every woman walking the street should wear a tarha scarf. I told him my opinion is every person in his own house decides his rules for himself. He replied, no, you're a leader. You're responsible. I told him, sir, you have a daughter in the School of Medicine. She's not wearing a tarha. If you are unable to make one girl who's your daughter wear a tarha. You want me to put a tarha on 10 million women myself? 
And so what happened? How did it change? So remember this guy, Alashimi? Yeah. Um, he felt like the British uh, waffled on some of their promises to him. And so uh, when the British couldn't get him to sign on to some agreements, he um, he balked. And the British said, you know what? We're just going to stand back and let this guy take over Arabia. Aziz Ibn Saad. And he's Wahhabi. Every terrorist group that exists today can trace themselves back to Wahhabi. These wow. are backwards, violent, even Lawrence of Arabia said the Wahhabis, followers of a fanatical Muslim heresy, had imposed their strict rules. Everything was forcibly pious, forcibly puritanical. Um, and so uh, here's William McCann's Brookings Institute. Saudis promote a very toxic form of Islam that draws sharp lines between a small number of true believers and everyone else, Muslim and non-Muslim. So in other words, the Wahhabi are just as happy to kill a moderate Muslim as they are to kill a non-Muslim. And so, um, so we have... The Wahhabis, as of 1924, control Arabia, which is where Mecca is, which is where the Hajj. So five pillars of Islam. The fifth is once in your life, you're supposed to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. Well, under al-Hashimi and the Hashemite Empire, it was more traditional. uh, But under uh, Aziz ibn Saud and the Wahhabi, going to Mecca means you're getting infected with Wahhabism. And these people go back to all their countries of the world, spreading this violent version of Islam. And then oil is discovered in 1938 by Standard Oil Company. And in one generation, Saudi Arabia goes from the poorest Muslim country to the richest Muslim country. Again, wow. uh, this outline is available by texting 40509, the word bill. Um, these are just the bullet points as mm-hmm. we go through this. So good. In addition to the the PowerPoints that show all the the, the, the images and graphics. But this is an incredible uh teaching tool yeah here yeah and so we have this oil and um uh so it's called salafi teachings that's what the wahhabis have fundamentalism uh and this gave birth first to the muslim brotherhood in 1928 then you got the plo started with the help of moscow and the soviets and then the taliban al-qaeda isis hamas Boko Haram, hezbollah al-shabaab they all can trace themselves back to the salafi teachings that's in wahhabism so for example the muslim brotherhood started by six guys that worked for the Suez Canal Company. Uh, and they said, 1928, Allah is our objective. The Quran is our constitution. The prophets are leader. Jihad's the way. Death for the sake of Allah is the highest of our aspirations. And um, so they begin to infiltrate countries, and they use the two-city plan. For Muhammad was first a religious leader in Mecca. Then he became a political military leader in Medina. So the Muslim Brotherhood says, first is the infiltration stage. Go into these countries and just be a religious Muslim. And then when the signal's given, you switch and become a political militant Muslim and take over the countries. So they would target these moderate Muslim leaders with assassination attempts. And so if any of these leaders that are wanting to be pro-West, like Sadat, Anwar Sadat, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood would assassinate him. And now um, the, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood started in 1928. So you had... Um, the Mufti of Jerusalem, and he is um, the uh, the the nephew of um, or his nephew is Yasser Arafat. Okay. So the Mufti of Jerusalem, uh, after World War One, um, the Ottoman Empire is broken up, and the British uh, go ahead and recognize him, let him stay in Jerusalem. So he's sort of in charge. But when World War Two begins to start, he meets with Hitler. And they uh, they like they both hate the Jews, and so the Mufti raises a Bosnian Muslim mm-hmm. Panzer division 
uh, called the Arab Legion to join Hitler's Nazis. And, um, and so uh, after the war, he flees and he goes to Egypt and he makes a treaty with the Muslim Brotherhood. And then oil. We talked about Standard Oil Company uh, in 1938, but now it's 1945. And uh, Roosevelt goes to the Alta Conference, February 1945, meets with Stalin and Churchill and gives away a half a Europe to the communists. Thanks, Roosevelt. Um, and then on his way back, he stops off. He has his boat, the USS Quincy, and he stops in the Suez Canal and he meets with King Aziz Ibn Saud and uh, supposedly to see if he'd help resettle Jews in the Holy Land. But instead, this Ibn Saud derides the Jews. And then he makes a a secret treaty with Roosevelt, oil for security. So Saudi Arabia will promise to give America oil in exchange for America building a military base and defending Saudi Arabia. And uh, so uh, Roosevelt, uh, after this meeting, writes a letter to King Abdul Aziz Ibn Saud and says, you educated me in two days on so much about the, you know, the Arab-Israeli history that I didn't know. And it, and you can be guaranteed as long as I'm president, the United States will not recognize the Jewish homeland. A week later, FDR is finally dead and Truman takes over. And one of the first things he does is recognize Israel. And um, anyway, and then you have these, uh, the Arabs uh, fighting the war, uh, Egypt wants to take uh, the, the Suez Canal away from the British and, and who are running the canal. And then they block Jewish ships. And so the Jews and the British go in, take it. And um, and then uh, this more or less happens again with the Six-Day War. Um, sort of uh, lots of miracles happen. One was the Egyptian Air Force was getting ready uh, to invade Israel. Uh, but the Jews do a preemptive strike. And the Arab bases had no commanders. Uh, nobody's telling them what to do. Why? Because all the commanders went to a party uh, the night before with a famous belly dancer. <laughs> You're kidding. <laughs> oh, wow. So, and so they weren't available. Uh, and so these guys on the bases are like making phone calls, like, what are we supposed to do? And nobody's picking up the phone. Anyway, and so the Jews are able to destroy the entire Egyptian air force. And, um, and then you got 1973, uh, Anwar Sadat invades uh, Israel. And this time, uh, Jimmy Carter swings a deal called the Camp David Accords in which they institute the land for peace, that if the Jews will uh, give up pieces of their land, then there'll be peace. And obviously, that has not proved the case. So we mentioned uh, the Arab Persian Spring, the Turkish Spring, and and the, the last is the Arab Spring started in 1928 with the foundation of the Muslim Brotherhood. So the Muslim Brotherhood took the Wahhabi Salafi teachings and turned it into an organization, and that birthed lots of these other organizations. And um, anyway, and so uh, Saudi Arabia, so Jimmy Carter, 1979, abandons the Shah. The Shah was the most pro-American leader in the entire Middle East, and Jimmy Carter abandons him. And the same way the British stood back and let Hashimi, you know, Al-Hashimi get pushed out and let Abdul Ibn Saud take over Arabia, Jimmy Carter stepped back and abandoned supporting our friend the Shah and let the Ayatollah Khomeini take over Iran. And then you have Iran funding more terrorist organizations like Hezbollah. 
And uh, so Hezbollah mm. started in 1981. In 1983, um, in Lebanon, the U.S. Marine barracks is blown up. 241 U.S. Marines are, are destroyed or killed. And Reagan's response uh, was to withdraw. And, and then you begin to have one other picture of a country that was moderate, now wanting to turn fundamentalist, was uh, Turkey. And um, you had a leader named Menderes, and he is the leader, several leaders after Ataturk dies, and he whips them up to destroy the, Jew, the, the uh, Greek Orthodox neighborhood. Um, and um, anyway, uh, and then an interesting thing. So we talked about Jimmy Carter abandoning the Shah. Uh, there's also an Afghan-Soviet war, 1979 to 89, 10 years. And um, we don't like the Soviets. And so our CIA is arming and training the Taliban uh, to fight the Soviets. So Operation Cyclone, it's the largest CIA, covert CIA operation. So covert means that the people in America don't know about it, but the CIA is arming the Taliban and Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts did a movie on it called Charlie Wilson's War. Yeah. And Sylvester so. Stallone did a movie on it called Rambo Three. Um, and at the end of the movie, it said this film is de- dedicated to the gallant people of Afghanistan. So here we are arming and training the Taliban in Afghanistan. And who who was one of the people that was working with America with the Taliban to fight so the Soviets? Osama bin Laden. And after he gets all that training, he starts Al Qaeda. And um, anyway. And so it makes no sense to think that the Taliban could, quote unquote, surprise us and take over the largest military base between China and Europe in Afghanistan and us just leaving without trying to destroy anything. And then there are, were reports of the Chinese planes flying in the same time we were evacuating people out. And military like guys. $80 billion worth of equipment, if I remember right, something in that, in that range. Yeah, and and so um, uh, my Uber driver, I was in Phoenix, and the guy's like, "I'm a Black Hawk helicopter pilot. I got my wings. I was trained by the Americans. I, uh, I w- I'm an Afghani. I'm, I was helping the America. And we, we, there's only a thousand Taliban coming in, and they were on motorcycles, and we had these these Black Hawks with missiles. We could have taken them out so easily, but we got an order to stand down. And he goes, "Here I am making bread for Panera and driving Uber." And he goes, I'm an educated person. And he says that as soon as they got that stand-down order, his friends that were flying the Blackhawks flew to Tajikistan and landed because they knew if they landed, the Taliban would immediately kill him. And then he had to hide for 10 days. They were hunting him to kill him. Because why? Because we left all the lists of all the people that were working with America mm-hmm. open so that they could do it. We left, left knife, night vision goggles. We left everything. And he finally got his former trainer to help him to get to escape and go to, to Phoenix. And um, but uh, and he said, yeah, they were saying we don't want foreigners in our country. And he goes, but now the whole country is being ruled by China because of rare wow. earth metals, lithium that's in Afghanistan that they want to use for batteries. And so basically Biden gave Afghanistan to China and the Taliban gets eighty five billion dollars worth of weapons. And the um, the the question Mar- uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is asking is, did some of the weapons that we left find their way to um, uh, to the Hamas to be used against Israel? And um, anyway, so um, uh, and then it, it gets uh, another interesting thing um, is uh, well, I got lots of slides here. Um, we have September 11th takes place. Uh, and uh, the World Trade Center is attacked, and then we go after Osama bin Laden. 
And then in 2003, uh, or 2003, 2005, I don't have the date right in front of me, uh, but Bush uh, and Condoleezza Rice um, uh, pressured Israel to do land for peace, give up Gaza, give up Gaza, and you will have peace. And obviously that didn't happen. And then we had, um, when, when Bill Clinton was in, um, sort of skip past him. But uh, Lewinsky scandal, he starts um, Operation Deliberate Force, and he is funneling arms through Iran to arm the Bosnian Muslims in Serbia uh, against the Serbian Christians. And um, then we have the uh, Hillary Clinton meeting with the OIC, Organization of, of the Islamic Cooperation, and um, promises that uh, the United Nations will approve uh, Resolution 1618, which would for- forbid anybody in the whole wide world from insulting Islam. Now, just for a definition, anything that's not Islam insults Islam. Mm-hmm. And so this would basically, yeah. um, and so um, she uh, uh, is in, in there and on the phone with Obama when the Benghazi attack happens and they decide not to send any rescue attempt. And the very next day, she sends memos to Google and YouTube saying, censor all speech insulting Islam. And when it comes out that the attack was pre-planned and had nothing to do with this video insulting Islam, she says, well, that was a long time ago. What difference does it make? And she gets off the hook. And wow. and so, um, but uh, during Obama, you had the U.S. arming and training the terrorists. Here's a Los Angeles Times article. In Syria, militias armed by the Pentagon fight those armed by the CIA. So we're giving arms to everybody over there. And of course, when President Trump gets in, a Time magazine, a Trump ends covert plan to arm, arm Syrian rebels. Russia has pushed to end the program. And now there's a question is those arms that we're giving to Ukraine, uh, there's questions as to whether they're finding their way to Azov, uh, this neo-Nazi group made full of uh, Muslim terrorists that wanting to, it's it's the Ukrainian version of Antifa and BLM. Uh, And then are those weapons going from Azov to Hamas to fight Israel? And um, because we saw that when Hillary was in, we were taking the guns from Libya Uh, and moving them over to Syria. Uh, Even Fox News says stocks show weapons going from Benghazi to Syria. And so this is one of those 30,000 emails that were deleted on Hillary's server. And um, and so Tulsi Gabbard introduced a bill in 2016, Stop Arming Terrorist Act. It's like, (laughs) hello. (laughs) And so there's little Israel. So you have this uh, 400 million uh, of the, the Muslims. There's only 9 million uh, Jews. And then uh, they're starting Hezbollah chapters in Venezuela and in uh, Latin South America, and they're infiltrating uh, the drug gangs. And they're coming across the southern border by the thousands. And there's the thought that they are having uh, being bused to all the cities in America as sleeper cells waiting for the, uh, the moment to have a, um, uh, a signal that they're supposed to attack. But um, there's my book, Whatever American Needs to Know About the Crown. I have a a DVD and now uh, a flash drive with uh, this presentation and it's full on there. So um, I do want to mention one last thing that I Please. think is interesting is um, the um, on, on my post at the very bottom um, is uh, uh, a quote from the uh, young guy that uh, his dad had started Hamas and um, he uh then uh, realizes the um, 
uh, what that uh, they're the Hamas is planning terrorist attacks. And I'm just going to scroll down to the bottom here for the, the sake of uh, time. Um, and so uh, his name was Mossab Youssef. And uh, let me just read this, this quote from him. So, um, uh, so again, he's the uh, son of the co-founder of Hamas. Born in 1978, Mossab Hassan Youssef. He grew up in Palestine, and he witnessed firsthand the Hamas terrorizing civilians. He saw Hamas killing Palestinians, torturing them if they thought they were working together with the Jews. And he says he knew these people, and they were not working together with the Jews, but he saw them go through these horrible tortures and be killed just because the Hamas suspected it. And he says, if this is the way they act toward their own people now, what would happen if they actually won and drove the Jews out? So from 1997 to 2007, uh, Mossab Hassan Youssef secretly warns the Israelis of impending suicide attacks to save their lives. And then eventually, um, uh, Youssef became a Christian. And then he fled from uh, Palestine to America, and Obama was going to send him back over there to get killed. And uh, so he had to had go through a hearings and lawsuits and everything, and he finally got allowed to stay in America. He did an interview with the CBN, May 22nd, 2010. And this is what Yusuf said. My problem is with the God of the Quran. If we compare his personality to the God of the Bible, we find the difference. From their f- fruits, we know them. The fruits of the God of the Quran is terrorism, beating women, killing children. My transformation took six years of study. It was not overnight. I had to study Christianity and other religions. I considered at some point not to believe in any religion. The only path I found, peace, which was good for me and good for all mankind, was Jesus Christ. Wow. Is, is there is there any wow. is there any amount of is there anything that they can do land-wise? Is there any agreement? Is there anything that would make Hamas be like, okay, now we're all good. Uh, we can live in peace and coexist. Is there is there anything that they want to accomplish? From history, from what you've seen? No, they, they just want to, um, uh, again, it's the Wahhabi teaching of a one-world Islamic government. Period. So that, that's, that's their goal, yeah. yeah. But... Um, it's kind but of hard anyway, to negotiate uh, with someone that says uh, there is there is no mm-hmm. alternative other than either you submit and join us or die. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's not that that's a pretty tough negotiation, and 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 there's such a cry in the United States mm-hmm. right now. They just need to get in there and negotiate peace in this moment, and and it, is, it seems to be a, a like a naive ambition with an organization like Hamas. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and in in Islam, the the, uh, the fundamental ones is again, you make treaties when you're weak until you get strong enough to disregard them. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I just want to address real fast, uh, real fast, flyover family. Um, in the prophetic report from this last week, if you go to the flyoverapp.com. Um, you can see that the last week's prophetic report, there were six different prophetic uh, words 
going back to 2015, to the present, talking about the southern border and people coming in, terrorist cells that have entered the United States, and what God has to say about that. And I think it's really important that we as the body of Christ know what we're called to do right now. We are partnering with God during this time and what His plan is for the United States. And so He is addressing it. He's not silent during this time. He's talking. He's Like I said, He started, uh, I have prophetic uh, words from 2015 up to the present about what Bill just had to say about them coming over the southern border into the United States. So, Bill, thank you so much yeah. for your time. Again, Flyover family, go to AmericanMinute.com. Uh, the book that he was talking about today is What Everyone Needs to Know About the Quran, A History of Islam and the United States. So, Bill, thank you again for your time. We really appreciate it. Our founding fathers evolved the idea that you and I have within ourselves the God-given right and the ability to determine our own destiny. But freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. If you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Are you having a hard time sleeping at night thinking, what am I going to do about my finances? You know, times are really changing. They're changing fast. Let me give you a quick example of how in 1920, if you had a $20 bill and one ounce of gold, you could go into any men's clothing store and buy an entire suit. You wow. Buy the, the jacket, the shirt, the belt, shoes, the whole bit. Today, that's what dollar bill. What's it going to get you? Not much. Maybe the socks, maybe a <laughs> handkerchief, but the one ounce of gold could still buy you the entire suit at any men's store in America. That's the difference. That's what inflation does to your dollar. It's a deflating dollar caused by inflation. Now, today, that's happening faster than ever. You need somebody that you trust that can help get you out of a fake currency and into something that's going to keep you safe. And we know a guy that has two PhDs by the name of Dr. Dr. Kirk Elliott. We have known him for over 25 years, and he's someone we completely trust. You need somebody that you can get a hold of, somebody that's going to be there for you to get back out of it, and then maybe back into the stock market, maybe back into something else when things settle down. But right now is not that time. You need somebody that you trust and somebody you can call and make those worries go away. That's exactly right. So you can go to flyovergold.com. Dot com, fill out your information for a free consultation, or you can call 720-605-3900. Do it today. You'll be glad you did. We always kind of keep an eye on what's going on in the world. We talk about economics. We talk about news. We're always examining culture and current events, the lens of conservative Christian values. And, uh, uh, when it comes to food, you know, it's good to have somebody that's been around the world, been True. there, done that, served in the military, actually walks walks with cows daily. Yes. You can't get you cannot closer, get closer, to, closer your, to that. To your food your food. Than, your food than that. The 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 one the only Jason Nelson. Yeah. If I ever start a podcast or a show of any kind, I am stealing your applause line. It, it makes me feel so good every <laughs> single time we come on that way. Thank you for having me, David Stacey. It I is really good. Because of Dr. Doolittle, you, you actually, you know, when somebody sells a product and they're like, you know, they're not the, the, the you know, at the dealership and they like the car. I mean, 
you're like you're like with the people you know mining for the minerals mm -hmm. that made the metals to be the car the factory the shipping the warehouse like you're 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 a part of this whole phase and and I love that because not only are you there you come at this whole situation with a business background, with a military mm -hmm. background, um, you've been in about every situation that there is in in the world, and you understand the importance of it, which is why you got into, you know, the the whole meat supply because you realize how fragile that whole process is. Our, our food ecosystem, our infrastructure is, is vulnerable. It is uh, unreliable. There's not any transparency, but. It's a complex problem that has simple solutions. And the simple solution is, is that you just need to identify and protect your food supply and create a way in which you can get it into the hands of people who care about whether or not their family is safe and secure. Mm -hmm. I want to bring up something. I wrote down some notes uh, listening to some uh, podcasts and uh, some like, you know, military people. And this, this note here actually came from a Fox news interview, but there's a, there's a term at the border called a special interest alien. And they were, they were talking about, um, you know, the number of people have come through, you know, this year, um, you know, 99% of everyone who's crossed the Southern border in 2023 is still here. They're given a pass to come back within the next six years for a mm -hmm. court date until then here's a phone and we're going to continue to support you is, is the process regardless of where they come from. And I think historically people would have thought if you're coming to the Southern border, you must be coming from Mexico. Well, it's they're coming from the whole world because there's a big sign saying open for business, free access here. And it's not just people for opportunity. We've seen what's happened over the last week in Israel, in the Middle East. And you see how many nations out there are 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 committed to the death of their enemies, not, not for getting land or anything mm -hmm. else. They're out to kill specific groups of people, these special uh, interest aliens. It's not a couple. Um, Afghanistan, six thousand three hundred eighty-six. There's a there's a West African country. Um, we talked to Christy Hutcherson mm -hmm. in Miami this last weekend about. She's an expert on the border uh, security intel. Does does drone missions at the border with, with human trafficking, rescuing. She said this was a big one on the western border. Um, 15,000 more Tizia. Uh, I don't know the name of it. Um, Fifteen thousand five hundred ninety-four special interests. These are people that that that. There, there's question marks about from a security mm -hmm. standpoint. Egypt, over 3,000. Pakistan, 1,600. Iran, 695. They're the one funding, you know, what we see going on uh, in Hamas. Uh, Syria, uh, 538. Turkey, over 20,000. Uzbekistan, 13,000. Yemen, 139. Jordan, 185. Lebanon, 164. Close to 100,000 people that they know came over the southern border. They didn't come through the doorway. They came They came through the southern border that we know of mm -hmm. that that they have question marks on that are not, not all hanging out in Houston. They're spread all over the United States. It's a definite threat like we've never seen before because we've never welcomed in and helped fund an invasion before. And I, I just think with your military background and your the preparation – there's never been a point where we're more vulnerable than we are right now, ever. You know, and I, I love your show because I never know what we're going to talk about when we come on. Uh, I, I let's let's delve into some background here on this and let's understand the implications of what this means. So uh, you're bringing up an issue of what 
security, right? So mm -hmm. uh, our government has one job, and that's to provide security against foreign nations. It's not supposed to be involved necessarily, our federal government, in, in what's happening domestically. So at the southern border, we've had over 5 million unaccompanied military-age males in the last two years across the border. Now, they were invited here. They were promised health care. They were essentially promised asylum. We now see that those places that promised them asylum no longer want them there. And you can put a family out front. You could put a suffering family who's escaping oppression out in front as the poster child of this movement. But the reality is that, that over two-thirds of the group, uh, people that have come across the border have been unaccompanied military-aged males. So let's go just off the statistics. If we even said that even 1% of them, 1% were criminals, which by the way, um, we know that that number is not correct. And I was trying to, uh, CNN tried to fact check me once on the idea that every country has been represented. Uh, literally every country has been represented when you talk about the southern border. That includes the Vatican of people who've come across illegally. Wow. So wow. when you talk about 5 million people, if only 1%, right, only 1% were bad people, that's 50,000 people, 50,000 people. So let's just say that half a percent, 25,000 people were bad. Well, 50,000 would give you 1,000 per state spread around yeah. everywhere. Give you 1,000 per state, right? Waiting, waiting so, for green light go. What did, what did, and, and I am not speaking of this lightly at all, but what did, uh, you know, 1,500 people do? Just and they had to cross a vast desert and and then infiltrate villages. What just happened in Israel when fifteen hundred people wanted mm -hmm. to do bad things? So so when you talk about in the United States the ability of if if, if gang members can get guns, then that means that illegal special interest uh, nationals can probably. Get oh yeah, guns. yep. And if we say that only one percent of them were bad, then we're talking about thousands upon thousands of people spread throughout this country who were just waiting for a, a signal to go. And we saw that on 9-11, what just uh, a couple dozen people were able to do to cripple our economy, um, cripple our access to uh, world markets, uh, cripple world trade. So what are the end results of that? Well, the end results of that after 9-11 were essentially the collapse of, of numerous um, uh economies that were based in tourism, Las Vegas, San Diego, and things like that. But we saw a, a short break in the supply chain. Why? Because it affected our air. Well, what have we been seeing over the news for the last year? It's rail lines. We know that we have vulnerable rail lines that have been attacked over and over uh, by just malfeasance. Uh, well, what if these tens of thousands of people who are here illegally and who don't like us, who hate us, who want to see our way of life uh, destroyed, were to attack those rail lines, were to attack those uh, infrastructure? I mean, 60 percent of our food is transported by rail lines. Uh, uh, direct, I mean, that's raw food moving. Mm -hmm. And then that, that you, when you talk about our urban areas, what happens when 60 percent of their food supply immediately disappears? And they can't get access to it. Exactly. Uh, they, they get out of that urban area quick. Yes. Well, if they can, right? But if you're talking about uh, uh, guerrilla attacks and you're talking about, the, do you, I mean, we saw freedom of movement restricted during COVID. What kind of freedom of movement do you think? Look, they shut down Boston for two days uh, because of one bomber. Uh, and, and I'm not going to get into civil rights here, but just the reality of they shut people down and locked them in their homes. Um 
How many people have more than two or three days of food inside of their home? How many people can claim to have more than two weeks of food? So if you had thousands of people uh, yeah. running a guerrilla-style warfare within this country with the intent of crippling our life, terror, right? Uh, how much food do you have access to? And how much food would you have access to in the future? Would you, do you have a month's worth of food? Do you have two months worth of food? Well, uh, what, what, I mean, we have, do you have insurance that's going to airdrop food into you mm -hmm. like your Berlin when you're being held captive? You don't. And with so much of our food supply reliant on transportation and so much of our transportation system uh, vulnerable to uh, isolated uh, cells of terrorists, I would question it's not of a matter of, of if, it's a question of when. It's really interesting. A, a couple of weeks ago, Dutch Sheets was someone I know a lot of listeners follow. He, he does give him 15 per thing um, every day. He was actually talking about, uh, you know, a shaking that's coming. We've been hearing that from a lot of the people um, in the prophetic. They're talking about a shaking that's coming. But the question that he was bringing up was, could that be from terrorist groups that have now entered the United States through the borders? And what will we see? What's going to possibly come, you know, because of that? And so being prepared, who knows how long it could be if things are shut down for a little while or it's shut down for a month or two months? You know, what are you going to do to be able to protect your family? And that was why David and I started really searching for some some companies that we could partner with yeah. that could help, you know, in the situation. That's when we came across Jason um, and we, you know, we formed the website Flyover Meat, you know, because it was something that a way that we could help protect ourselves. Our problem. We have kids. We have kids. Exactly. As well as, you know, to offer to the Flyover family, what are different things that you could do if if it does shut down? And meat is a problem, you know, because let's say we lose electricity, then what are you going to do? You know, and I love what you've done, Jason, because another concern that a lot of people have is what is happening with our meats. Are they even meat? You know, are we even getting meat? You know, uh, what's in the meat with the mRNA? Because they don't even have to tell us anymore what's inside of our foods. No, and you're bringing up an, an absolutely valid point right now. And we're seeing with lab-grown food that the legislatures have been resistant to sit here and demand any sort of transparency. Yep. As a matter of fact, they voted down and and six states they voted down rules that would mandate that if uh food is lab grown that it be identified as such um you know and i don't know about you but i think that beef is grown in a pasture not in a yeah. petri dish <laughs> yeah. uh, exactly. so uh, it's i want to know where my food's coming from and this is what we looked at when we started the company it was uh, can people depend on where the food comes from well our beef is single source it's from texas it comes from a ranch where it walks across uh thousands and thousands of acres and eats grass Okay. Then it is uh, processed. Uh, what we mean by that is slaughtered and 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 hand carved, and that we do that right here in Lot, uh, where we have a very personal relationship with the family that runs our processing plant. And then it moves up to our uh, production plant, our facility, where we move through and, and of the highest of standards, where it's sous vide, pasteurized. Nothing is added to it at all, not even a grain of salt. Uh, and and it is prepped and ready and safe for your family, where it's in uh, freeze dried and ready for. Uh, 25 years, up to 25 years where your family can keep it stored. And and the best part is, is I could say that I'm proud of it. We work on it daily. We brought in specialists to make sure that we were uh, making the, the uh, uh, meat as tender as possible. It's, and remember, this isn't beef crumbles, which I don't know where that even comes from on a cow. This is uh, filet. This is... Uh, uh, tenderloin, uh, this is a New York strip, this is ribeye, which we separate, but then even our, our original steak, uh, which is just, it's 
brisket, it's uh, 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 sirloin, it's your tri-tip, your picanha. So this is the best parts of the cow. And, and we don't waste anything. We send the rest out to, to be used in other places, but that's not coming to your home because that's not what you're going to survive on. It's trim sous vide beef. It's pure protein, 10,000 calories per bag. You can feed a family or you can feed a couple can eat at what? Uh, we figured it out, six ninety nine a day. Yep. A couple can sit here and prep ahead uh, for, for yep. less than $7 a day per person. Would you like to survive or would you like to sur sur thrive? And, and are we thinking, you know, this isn't about hurricanes. It isn't about tornadoes. It isn't about uh, necessarily even the apocalypse. It's about uh, what about when you can't even leave your home? What do you have to eat? What, yep. are you, or what are you going to be surviving on? Is it going to be cheesy rice and beef crumbs? Or are you going to be surviving and sort of thriving on food that you know where it came from, you know what right. it is, you know that it was cared for, and you know it was made for someone who, who has a family who wants your family to have the same security? It's huge. And so when it comes, it does, it comes in these um, these sacks and when you open them up, so they, they can sit on the shelf for 25 years. When you open them up, I just put them in the refrigerator and Jason said that can delicious. last five years in the refrigerator and they are, it's really good. I put on here a smoky, smoky uh, barbecue this time, uh, try different seasonings on it, but it really is good. The way that I've been preparing it, Jason, is I just put it in water and then let it set for a few hours. And then it's perfect. Um, it's been working really well. But you could also put it in hot water and within a few minutes, then it it's also supposed to work that way as well. Is that the best way to prepare it? So you have a couple of options. So it's uh, 12 hours, uh, uh, well, sorry, 8 to 12 hours if you wanted to just cover it in water overnight. Remember that the process is uh, it's designed, the, it will never take in more water than we extracted from it during the process. But if you wanted to rehydrate it warm, uh, just boil water, take it off the stove, put this in there for about 12 minutes, cover the uh, meat for about 12 minutes, uh, and, and then take it out, pat it dry, just put it in a recipe, add whatever flavoring you want. I mean, at that point, it's a, like you just pulled it out of the sous vide uh, cooker yourself and it's ready to go. So we recommend always use it as a recipe. It's not designed uh, 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 to be something that you're just sitting there and toughing it out. And, and uh, It's actually really good. Make the best of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not bad if that's all you do is just eat it. Yeah, because before we were yeah, recording... But David was eating it. Before we yeah, were, you like, you need to save some for the show. I know, you better save it for I, the show, I, dude. <laughs> I'm not going to say I don't stop by and eat it raw. Uh, when I say raw, I mean just out of the sous vide. But uh, I mean, it's designed for you to be able to uh, to put it into recipes, to be a part of your uh, daily life if that's what you'd like. We we do have customers uh, uh, who are very proud of. They live in in areas of the country like Manhattan, uh, um, uh, where it's very expensive for them to get uh, uh, fresh and. and quality meat and they order from us and they eat it every day because it's a well or as but, often and, and as if they you don't have any meat. big chest freezers and stuff you can just yeah. take this and put it on a shelf and you don't have to keep it frozen you know for you know any, any amount of time so exactly let me break down the prices real fast if and you could, promo code flyover you get great discounts yeah so if you go to flyovermeat.com um, and you do put in the promo code flyover you get 15 percent off so there's different ways that you can order it there's a single bag by itself which is 12 servings um, and their price is 105, but when you use the promo code flyover, you get it for 89.25, which is 7.44 per serving of four ounces. So, which is really good. If you get the four pack, though, it's 395 is the price there. But when you use promo code flyover, you get it for 336. It's a little less than that, which is um, six dollars and 99 cents. Uh, per serving for four ounces, which is amazing. And that's what Jason was talking about earlier. If you get the four pack of this, 
That's 48 portions or servings for a couple. That's one month. It would be $6.99 per day. I mean, that is such a great deal to know that you are not just surviving, you are thriving, yep. you know, and, and you can take getting it camping, that. you can take it when you're out, you can take it anywhere because it doesn't need to be. Exactly. So that's stored. for the beef cubes, but you can get it all the way to New York Strip, ribeye, tenderloin. You can get all of those. They're all uh, things that you can purchase and you get the discount when you use the promo code flyover 15% off. And so we just really appreciate you, Jason. Get it, thank you for getting us the information, but thank you also for providing such a high quality uh, meat that the flyover family can have and not yeah. have to worry any longer about what happens if something happens to our country, we can we can take care of our family. We appreciate that. We love being partnered with you. And more importantly, we want to remind people that not only do they get a 15% discount with the promo code flyover, but that shipping taxes, those are no hidden fees. We take care of that. So there's actually that wow. value with inside that. Um, there is what you see is what you pay. Uh, we and, and and for people who are wondering when they see those prices on there that slash, it looks like a you know, like we made a fake sale. What we're telling people is letting them know uh, the price of beef has gone up 23 percent in the last uh, month. Uh, those are the costs of what we would be paying if we had not planned ahead. Uh, we planned ahead so that we could help you plan ahead. But in the near term future, those prices are going to go up. We, we're trying to keep it as low as possible because we want to be able to have as many Americans set up as many of your uh, listeners and watchers available to, uh, to to have their families have that same security. So I encourage people to go out as soon as possible. Prepare your families. You would you wouldn't drive without auto insurance. You wouldn't buy a house without home insurance. I can't imagine that we're going into these times right now where you would not think about the food security insurance for your family. So good. Again, Flyover family, go to flyovermeat.com. Use promo code flyover. Thanks again, Jason. We really appreciate it. <sighs> All right, Flyover family. My name is Avery Whited. I'm the daughter of David and Stacy. I'm just moving in, so I had to get an order from my pillow and get the things that I needed. So let's look inside. I got some my pillow uh, towels, kitchen towels. I got some of their Giza sheets. Now, I've never actually been able to use them, but I've heard amazing things from my parents about them. And last but not least, something for Charlie. Hey, Dolphin. All right, Charlie, let's go put this in the dryer and flip it up for you. Come on, buddy. Nice and warm and fluffy. Perfect for my little guy. Come here, Charlie. All right, if you wanna get your own products, go to mypillow.com and use promo code FLYOVER to save up to 66% off. For 10 years, Patriot Mobile has been America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. And when I say only, trust me, they are the only one. We are here to defend democracy. The misinformation poses a threat to our nation's health. Climate change is emergency. Democratic socialism. Codified. Everyone's right to choose. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15. Patriot Mobile offers dependable nationwide coverage, giving you the ability to access all three major networks, which means you get the same coverage you've been accustomed to without funding the left. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're sending the message that you support free speech, religious freedom, the sanctity of life, Second Amendment, our military, and first responding heroes. Keep your number, keep your phone, or upgrade. Their team will help you find the best plan for your needs. Just go to PatriotMobile.com forward slash flyover or call 878-PATRIOT. That's PatriotMobile.com forward slash flyover or call 878-PATRIOT. 
Hello, Flyover family. Join me every Wednesday for the Prophetic Report at 1111 Central. You can find it on Rumble. You can find it on the Flyover app. We have such an incredible time of hearing from all of these different prophetic voices like Robin Bullock, Julie Green, Barry Wunsch, Amanda Grace, and Hank Kuhneman. Every week, it's either five or six different prophets that are speaking. And what's interesting is God is speaking through them. And all of these voices come together like puzzle pieces. It is so exciting to hear what the Lord is saying. We're hearing from medical. We're hearing from military intelligence. We're hearing from the financial world. We're hearing from mainstream media. But the most important is, what is God saying? He has not fallen off the throne. He's not nervous. He's not chewing his nails. He is in control. He has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. What a great time to be alive. And I'm so excited for you to join me every Wednesday at 1111. You know, you just never know what the future holds. So, I mean, we are stocking up. We're making sure that we have meat. We're meatitarians. We love meat. So we want to make sure that if anything happens, that we have meat. That's important. And not just in one purchase. You know, a lot of these things, whether it's, you know, silver, we've done this incrementally now for Mm -hmm. a couple of years. If it's, if it's meat, um, you know, like, Hey, how many people do we have? We have, you know, grandkids, a couple of kids. It's like, okay, we need to kind of plan this out. What would we need to get through a mm-hmm. couple of weeks or a month or what we need to, to, to take care of the people that depend on us mm-hmm. kind of do the math on that and figure it out. But uh, these are decisions that you can make and then like exhale and like, Hey, whatever comes may come. And then we've got it. We've got it covered, you know, That's and, exactly uh, right. and uh, sleep good at night. Man, this was such a great show with Bill. I always learn a ton every time that we interview him. Such incredible content. Makes me want to go back and read more books. Get that a little is smarter. True. That's true. We bless you to read more books. Bless you to get more smarter every <laughs> chance that you get. And uh, join us back here next time on the, the Flyover Conservative Podcast. Yes. Have a great night. We'll see you next time. Peace out. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Flyover Conservatives Podcast with David and Stacy Whited. Please subscribe, hit the notification bell, and leave us a comment below. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's podcast, share with those who came to mind. Be blessed and make it a great day.